uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. In spring 2017, a teenager walked up behind a woman leaving the metro in northeast Washington, D.C. and put her in a chokehold. Be quiet, he said, and delete your iCloud. He grabbed her iPhone 6S and ran away. The iCloud security feature has cut down on the number of iPhones that have been stolen, but enterprising criminals have found ways to remove iCloud in order to resell devices. To do this, they fish the phone's original owners or scam employees at Apple stores. Thieves, coders, and hackers participate in an underground industry designed to remove a user's iCloud account from a phone so that they can then resell them. Hundreds of millions of us use Find My iPhone to find our phone when it's just lost in the couch or maybe left at Starbucks, but also when it's been stolen. And now, with activation lock, if a thief tries to turn off Find My iPhone, they will not be able to reactivate it because they don't know your iCloud username and password. Motherboard editor-in-chief Jason Kebler and senior staff writer Joseph Cox spent the last few months diving into the notably complicated world of iCloud unlocks and the ways in which it involves not only physical and cybercrime, but also the otherwise legitimate, independent iPhone repair industry. I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber. So Joseph, you and I have spent the last few months working on this investigation about the underground world of iCloud hackers and unlockers and robbers and how it all relates to the repair industry. I want to start here by talking about how the iPhone has changed how petty criminals sort of steal phones. Yeah, so when a thief will go and rob someone of their iPhone, they're not just worried about the PIN code. Um, when they'll go and rob the person, there have been several documented cases of the thieves demanding that the victim removes iCloud from their phone, which is obviously your Apple ID and password when you're logged into it. And people have done this at gunpoint, strangling victims from behind. I mean, this security mechanism of Apple, which is a purely technical measure, is actually having some tangible physical consequences on how thieves are actually trying to um, rob people. Right. So I think most people would agree that this is a pretty good technological security measure in aggregate. Uh, you know, you want to make sure that iPhones are not worth $1,000 if they're getting stolen. But like you said, you know, thieves are still taking them. So just to be clear, I mean, this has changed the behavior of criminals. But if you go back even further, I mean, 10 years ago, if you had an iPhone and someone took it, they could just sell it on the black market, no problem, and move on with their lives. So what are these specific security measures that we're talking about? Right. So, yeah, Apple introduced something called activation lock, which is not the pin code that you use to access your phone. It is this other feature that's enabled when you may log into your iCloud and say, hey, my phone is stolen or lost. That then kicks in activation lock. And what that means is that anybody who finds your device can't just then factory reset it and resell it to anyone else. Um, without your iCloud password and email address, it's essentially an expensive looking brick for um, any thief. They need that to be able to actually remove data from it and wipe the phone so then someone else can use it as well. And as you say, it is just a purely like technical um, security measure, and it has impacted how thieves do operate. But 
of course, that doesn't stop necessarily robbers going, well, I'm going to steal this phone, um, even though the number has probably decreased somewhat, some criminals are just going to change their tactics. And that's what we've seen with this market of various different scammers and cyber criminals kind of stepping up to fill that void that some being created by activation lock. Right. And I think the specifics here are important to explain just because there is a lot to this because there's various different types of locks like you said, it's not the PIN code. Uh, it is the iCloud password, which is basically your Apple account ID, the one that you use to log into the App Store or iTunes, for instance. And what happens, why this is such a big deal, is if you reset the phone and sell it and iCloud lock is still on there, you can't associate it with a different Apple account. So you need the person's original password in order to you know, turn the phone on and do anything with it. You also need it to download apps or use iTunes. Um, and this is very important when you're reselling a phone or if you're stealing a phone because you need to be able to disassociate it with the original owner's account and reassociate it with the new owner's account. Yeah, I mean, when you're doing a factory reset and you've stolen this phone, and it's just going through the normal process of, hey, you factory reset your phone, you're setting up for the first time. It will then say, hey, wait, actually, this phone is linked to an iCloud account. Please enter that password. So that is what stops the process, um, even in the first place, of the thieves resetting the phone. They need that to even get over the first hurdle of factory resetting the device. Right. So a criminal will steal a phone, and then if they don't, you know, hold up someone at gunpoint and ask them to remove iCloud lock. They are then stuck with a phone that is a brick, but it's still obviously a an expensive piece of electronics and criminals have figured, hey, I'll just steal this phone and hopefully I'll be able to figure out a way to remove iCloud. And then they have, you know, a very valuable device. So what do they do? Like, because criminals have found ways around this. Right, yeah, so... Of course, even when the criminal has the phone and they um, they may not have got the, the the target to remove iCloud themselves, they still want to get that password. So either they, they're going to do this next stage themselves or they're going to provide the phone to someone else who could probably do it on their behalf or just sell it to another criminal. But the next stage is that they're going to try to fish the iCloud um, password in the same sort of way that you, a hacker, may try to get someone's banking password, their Gmail password, their Twitter credentials, or anything like that. It's essentially the same process, but what is turned up is this almost little cottage industry of professional fishers who just spend all day every day trying to steal people's iCloud uh, passwords, which are linked to stolen phones. So you'll have these very highly customized phishing kits which provide fake maps showing where the phone has apparently been found so they'll make people click. Um, they can send text messages which appear to come from Apple saying, hey, please provide us your iCloud email address and then, of course, they can try to get the password after that. They are, they're not the most sophisticated phishing kits on the planet. I mean, they're not bypassing two-factor authentication or anything like that, but they do appear to be fit for purpose, which is to lower the barrier of entry for these relatively low-level criminals. I mean, we're talking about phone thieves, not Russian APTs, right? But it still streamlines, streamlines the process for them and fulfills that necessary gap of, hey, we still need to get this password. 
I've known about this problem for a few years uh, because I come across a group of people who want to unlock iCloud lock devices all the time, which I'll talk about in a second. But I'm curious, like, how did you come across this? How long have you been monitoring these groups and where did you find them? I think, um, well, we started working generally trying to find out how they were getting the iCloud passwords. And I think you mentioned the phishing kits or something along those lines. So then basically I went out and did more research on identifying particular groups that use um, these phishing kits. There's one called Apple Kit, which is pretty popular, and then Pro Kit after that. And then eventually I just managed to infiltrate a sort of Telegram chat room, which is, you know, just a, a group chat on a messaging app. And this is where a lot of the hackers were exchanging tips, um, asking people for advice, uploading photos of their successful unlocks, uploading photos of, hey, this is a stolen phone. Where am I, where am I going to um, get the password and how could I go about that? It's basically like a clearinghouse for when your iPhone gets stolen, um, there's a good chance it could end up in one of these chat rooms. Of course, this wasn't the only one. There would be plenty more as well. But this is where they then figure out how to get into the phone. And I was in there for, I think, two months in total before I got kicked out and I had a nice chat with the hacker after our piece came out and he congratulated us for sitting in his chat room for so long. But yeah, it it, it was just sitting there and trying to absorb what they were what they were doing, because of course they use all their own terminology, all their own lingo, and we kind of had to reverse engineer what they were actually talking about and figure out how they were actually getting information on phones and how they were actually unlocking them. Right. So, so far, this is a pretty interesting story in that it's got this melding of physical crime and cyber crime, but ultimately the hacking involved is not terribly interesting. It's, you know, as you said, custom phishing kits. Uh, we've seen it a million times before with a bunch of other types of hacks. So there are a lot of interesting wrinkles to this, one of which is when you try to reset an iPhone, it will say, please enter iCloud password, and then it will have an email address, but it will only show the first letter and the last letter of the email address. And then in between, it will have a bunch of asterisks. So presumably, these you know fishers don't really know any of the information about the phone that they're trying to look up or the, or the person's account. So how do they get this information? Yeah, it seems like quite a hard problem, but there are a lot of different ways that a hacker or thief could find out information on the person that they're um, trying to break into the iCloud account of. I mean, first of all, when there's a stolen phone, it will say on it, hey, please call me on this number because this phone is stolen. Obviously, the victim has put a number so someone can get in touch with them in case it's found. Um, With these phishing kits, the hackers can then send these text messages that appear to come from Apple convincing the victim, hey, please go here and log in with your iCloud uh, email address and password. So that's one way they could at least get the email address, if not the full set of credentials. And then, of course, you could also do social media stalking and some other research as well to find it. But the text messages seem to be one of the main ways to find out who these people actually had to target when they got hold of a stolen phone. Right. But we also found these lookup tools online that have you know, at least some information about the phone's, uh, you know, specs and when it was purchased and stuff like that, which comes in handy when you're trying to do this other method of unlocking an iCloud-locked iPhone. So that that's another reason why I found this story to be very interesting is that there are other ways to unlock a phone. It's just you need to get Apple to do it for you. 
And that is a lot more complicated. Yeah, so as you say, they have these lookup tools where you will just type in the IMEI number, which is sort of a unique code given to every single phone. You type that into a website and it will return with information such as, hey, this is when it was purchased and the carrier and that sort of thing. Armed with that information, scammers can then fill out a fake receipt or invoice from a telco like AT&T or Verizon or from Apple itself. These are Photoshop templates that are online and allow you to enter whatever you want and make it look like a real receipt. Yeah, yeah. It's basically like paint by numbers. Here is a a, a ready-made template that looks really legit. You just have to put in all the information you found about the phone, take it in, and it should match the sort of records that Apple has on its back end and would hopefully be enough to convince someone in an Apple store, say a genius, or I think specifically we found a genius manager would be able to then remove the iCloud from the phone, which as you say is another way to do it. It's not a, a hacking or a phishing way, but it is still using these tools which are being um, utilized um, in these chat rooms. Right, so it's this social engineering that's happening at physical Apple stores and presumably this happens. Uh, we know that Apple managers can un- or request an unlock. And we also know that Apple can uh, do it remotely because you had some emails from Apple from that, uh, that hacking group that you know, mentioned that they can do it remotely. Yeah, so yeah, as you say, you may go into an Apple store and do it physically or, um, and this is what seems to be pretty popular with the people in the chat room I was in, they can just email Apple support and say, hey, I'm stuck, uh, locked out of my phone, here is my invoice, and just do the entire thing over email. And um, then Apple will remove the iCloud uh, lock like that, which seems like probably an easy way to do it, rather than having the courage or the audacity to go into an Apple store and do it in person. You can just do it over email, it seems. And we saw screenshots of emails that people were posting showing that this has actually been successful. Right. So in my reporting, I heard over and over again that this does happen, that people go to the Apple store. Uh, We have internal documents from Apple that show that a manager can request an unlock. But I also heard from multiple people that if you get caught, it's very bad. Like, you know, you can probably convince a lot of managers or geniuses to do this for you if you pretend to be, you know, someone who just happened to forget their password. But if they see you coming to the store over and over again and you get the same manager, they're going to know something is up and you're going to be blackballed in some way. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm not sure what the legality of that would be. I mean, I suppose it's sort of fraud. I mean, it, if someone could prove that you were then, you know, actually selling stolen phones or something like that, but that could be useful in some sort of prosecution around it. Of course, just getting the evidence to do that would be something else. But I mean, to be clear, all of these are like crimes, like even though, as we'll speak about, this industry does intersect with the more legitimate right to repair and um, repair Apple iPhone side of things, this is all still pretty damn illegal. Yeah, it is. I talked to someone who studied this quite a lot, and he told me, you know, not every iCloud-locked iPhone is illegally obtained, but every method for unlocking it is currently illegal. And I, I think it's now a good time to talk about who's actually trying to unlock iPhones beyond thieves because it's, it's pretty interesting. 
The late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. So I came across this story, or at least it piqued my interest about a year ago, I'm in a lot of Right to Repair Facebook groups, and the Right to Repair is basically this political movement of independent uh, repair folks. It's sort of like the corner store that will replace your iPhone screen or the random person who will fix a John Deere tractor but is not authorized by John Deere to fix a tractor, who is fighting at the moment for better access to parts, tools, diagnostic information, etc., because all across the electronics world, big manufacturers like Apple and Microsoft, John Deere, IBM, etc., are trying to lock down the ability for end users as well as independent repair people to fix the things that they nominally own. And Apple is notoriously bad at this. They have been sort of lobbying against this legislation at every turn. Uh, in Norway, they actually sued a guy who... Uh, bought aftermarket parts from China, and Apple actually lost that case. In the United States, they've worked with the Department of Homeland Security to prevent aftermarket and third-party parts from reaching independent repair people. And so there's basically this Apple versus the independent repair world mindset going on, and this is where locked iPhones come in because not every single iCloud-locked iPhone is stolen. When someone breaks their phone or when someone does an upgrade for their phone from T-Mobile or Verizon or Sprint, they will take it back to the carrier and someone at the carrier is supposed to say, hey, can you please remove your iCloud from this so that we can refurbish it and resell it? That happens most of the time, but not always. Often these phones, you know, the person, the customer service person forgets to remove the iCloud or ask their customer to remove the iCloud. And then it becomes a brick and suddenly Verizon has a brick of a phone. So what they do is they sell these phones in bulk at carrier auctions is what they're called. And people in the iPhone repair industry buy them. Uh, they buy them in bulk. I've talked to about a dozen you know, people who own iPhone repair shops at this point. They say, that they came across, you know, iCloud-locked iPhones all the time. So there are all these out there on the market, but there's nothing to happen. There's nothing happening with them. So there are some people in this world who are stripping them for parts. Uh, they're able to take, like, the back camera or the volume buttons or the charging port and put it onto a consumer's, uh, you know, otherwise unrepairable phone. And this is how they get their parts because Apple won't sell them parts. And so there's naturally a lot of these people who have, you know, dozens or hundreds of iCloud-locked iPhones, and they think, rather than stripping this for parts, why don't I figure out how to unlock them? Yeah, and I mean, there's, it's sort of like an uncomfortable alliance between this more legitimate side and then, of course, the highly illegal, really, really shady hacking 
part of the supply chain. Like these two, I mean, the, these two sorts of industries would never really meet if it wasn't for Apple's decision to sort of limit uh, whether people could get parts or unlock their own devices or provide some sort of mechanism for repair people to do that, right? Right, yeah. I spoke to, you know, dozens of people and a lot of them are like, I won't buy iCloud lock devices from people who walk into my store because there's a good chance that it's stolen. But if I'm buying it at a carrier auction, I know that it came from T-Mobile or Sprint or what have you, Assurion, some of these insurance companies. And they then have a phone that they legally own, but that they're unable to unlock. And so if they buy a phone for, you know, 200 bucks, they can part it out for, you know, sell the various parts and make a couple hundred dollars, or they can get iCloud removed and resell that phone as refurbished and get six, seven, eight hundred dollars. So for them, it's a lot less work and it's a lot uh, more lucrative if they're able to remove iCloud. So there are people, I mean, I talked to a lot of people in the industry, most of them said that they don't deal with iCloud unlocking, but there are people who both do this in-person scamming where they will go to the Apple store and ask for an iCloud unlock. And then there's also people who use these services that Joseph was talking about earlier. Yeah, so uh, as you say, when you have this very, very strange crossover between the people who need to unlock the iCloud phones just because they got them from a carrier auction, maybe they'll go to the hackers. And then you have people who are holding victims at gunpoint who will also go to the iCloud hackers. It's just a really bizarre um, marriage um, between these two different sectors. It is, and most people seem to be very uncomfortable with this. Uh, the Facebook group I was mentioning where I first learned about this, uh, you know, they have posts uh, from people asking like, hey, do you do iCloud unlocks? Do you know how to do iCloud unlocks? Every single week, I've been in that group for years at this point, and I've seen it over and over again. And it's gotten to the point where the more legitimate side, the people who are like, I don't want to touch this at all, say, we shouldn't have this in our group at all. Like, we need to ban this this sort of behavior. We need to ban people asking for this because it's going to make us look illegitimate. And there's one uh, guy who's very prominently involved in the right to repair movement. His name is Michael Oberdick. He is the owner of iOutlet, which is a store in Ohio or a series of stores. And he sort of went to YouTube and posted this, I guess you would call it a rant, basically saying that people in the industry need to clean up because they're never going to get legislation passed if there is this perception that they are you know, working with hackers and shady sides of the industry. How am I supposed to sit in a board or in a boardroom in a room with a, a senator of a state and fight for the right to repair and say, yes, we deserve the right to the parts, the diagnostic tools, all the things that we need from these manufacturers when we've got people rewriting goddamn iCloud. Like, you, as a business model, like, I'm sorry, but you're the reason why we can't get shit passed. You're the reason why we can't get contracts that we need. You are the reason the industry is looked at as a ugly stepchild. Knock it off. And I really think that Michael is right here because I've covered this political movement for quite some time and Apple's arguments against it are that, you know, these people are breaking our terms of service. These people cannot be trusted. If we sort of give them better access to our tools, they will take advantage of them and will, uh, you know, become conduits for hackers and thieves and, and stuff like that. So 
I think that the movement really does need to weed out people who are working with hackers to remove iCloud. But they are in a really tough situation because they can't get parts any other way. They've often acquired these phones legally and they have no options from Apple to actually remove them. So I talked to a couple of people and they suggested, you know, maybe activation lock should only go up if a phone has been reported as lost or stolen. Um, I don't know if that worked from Apple's end. Apple didn't really want to talk to us for this story. But uh, it is this sort of like weird underbelly of the industry and uh, and a weird melding of both cybercrime and real-life crime, as well as the gray markets of right to repair. So we published this story last week, and I think the response was sort of instantaneous, wasn't it, Joseph? Yeah, I mean, usually after we publish a piece that people are interested in, we'll get a few emails about, oh, that's cool or whatever. But here, it's quite a few different people reaching out, simply saying, hey, can you help me remove iCloud from my phone? And uh, usually I don't reply to these sorts of emails, but this time I was literally like, did you even read the piece? Like, it literally tells you how it how it goes down. And But um, clearly people didn't read the whole thing. But yeah, a lot of interest in people trying to find out how to unlock. Yeah, and there's one method that we didn't really mention or go into detail on, and it's really crazy. And I don't know all the specifics, so maybe it's something for another piece. But there are refurbishing factories in China that will basically take off a little chip on the motherboard. So they use a microscope and tweezers and take off the CPU and then they are reflashing the CPU on a chip reprogrammer and putting that chip back on the board, which requires desoldering and all this stuff. It's, it's very time and labor intensive. And afterwards, they basically have a device that is iCloud unlocked because they are essentially creating a new device by flashing a new IMEI number to it. And that's, just some, that's a whole other level that uh, we didn't really get into, but that I heard a few times. And uh, folks in the repair world are like, I just, I can't even fathom having enough time to do that. But it is happening. And uh, there's a YouTube video of it. It's very wild. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, But yeah, the wild world of iCloud iPhone unlocking. We will have another follow up to it sometime if we can ever figure out that China story. Joseph, I want to do a quick update to a story that was on this podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, we basically spent $300 to find location data from a phone that we asked to be tracked by a bounty hunter. And in the meantime, you've done an entirely new investigation that is a very similar but different thing regarding location data and bounty hunters. So can you give us the quick update? Yeah, in the original piece, it was one company and then we were a single instance of buying phone location data on the black market. And the telcos did assure lawmakers that these were isolated incidents. It turns out that's not the case. Uh, We got internal documents showing that another company was selling to around 250 bounty hunters, bail agents, those sorts of people. And two independent sources confirmed that some of those also sell on the black market. So there's a much greater scale here. And the new investigation also finds that it's not just cell tower data that's, you know, accurate to a range of a few hundred meters. The telcos have also been selling a GPS data, which is highly precise and usually only reserved for... This story is horrifying. The full investigation is on motherboard.vice.com. 
Uh, I don't think we'll do another episode about it, but uh, definitely worth your read. Uh, Joseph, thanks as always for joining us, and uh, I'll throw it back to Ben. This week's episode was produced by Jason Kebler and recorded by Dean White. I'm Ben Maku. If you live in or around Brooklyn, Cyber will be doing a live episode on March 2nd at the On Air Fest at the White Hotel. For more information about the show, check out onairfest.com and come hang out. Thanks for listening to Cyber, and we'll be back next week. 